You are listening to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our most recent weekend service located on our downtown Brea campus. We hope you are encouraged and strengthened from today's episode. Now for a timely message from Senior Pastor Kelly Fellows. Um, If you missed our kickoff last week, and I know some of you did, uh, let me kind of bring you up to speed. And you're going to hear a lot of that terminology, road trip, speed, and all that stuff. Through the summer, we are cruising. (laughs) I'm going to have, matter of fact, somebody, I want you to like get a counter to see how many times I make some sort of reference or illustration, okay? Um, This summer, we're cruising through one book of the Bible. And uh, you know this, uh, the way we can journey is by doing it together. It is much more fun when we do it together. So this summer, we are journeying through the book of Philippians, and we're going to learn what it means to be filled with joy. Because sometimes we feel like our joy tank is running on empty, and we need to get filled up. The thing that we need to be filled up with is joy. And I want to take this summer to fill up your joy tank. Just like you need gas for your car, you need joy for your life to fuel you and keep you going, especially when you run into rough roads, pit, not pit stops, potholes and pit stops and everything else. Joy is important. God wants you to know joy every single day. That's why when Jesus was here on earth, he said these words. Take a look on the screen. Jesus said, everything that I've taught, all my parables, all the messages, all the teachings, all the truth that I did, he says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled. Everybody say filled. Filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus wants your joy full. His teachings and his parables were given so that it could be filling to you. The picture I get in my head is kind of like this picture. Take a look. We're all very familiar with this picture. We see this at least once a week. Like I say, it's painful at times. But what we, I know what I'm doing right now is when I'm filling up, man, I get every little drop out of that thing, don't you? Click, 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 click. And then I pull it out. Oh, put it back in. There's a few more drops in there because that is precious. That is precious. Well, you know what? That's exactly what God wants to do in you. He's sitting there in heaven, and he's saying, I want to fill up Cat. I want to fill her. And he's going click, 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 click with joy, trying to get every single drop in there so that you can be overflowing with joy. That's his heart. So today we are starting this summer road trip through Philippians. Because this is one book that God said, I believe so strongly in joy that I'm going to have my apostle Paul write down an entire letter, an entire book called Philippians, all about joy. And to get started, we need to understand joy a little bit more. Before we even jump into that book, we got to understand what the heck is joy? The word joy and rejoice appears in Philippians over 16 times, and it's a short book. There's only four chapters in the book of Philippians, but joy and rejoice are expressed 16 different times. Philippians is known as the book of joy, and so if it's that important, we should have a good handle on it. Some people would say that joy is 
It's that happy feeling when I go to that park up the road where the House of Mouse lives. You know, Disneyland, oh, that's that happy feeling. That's what joy is. Or, or maybe somebody will say, well, it's that, that satisfied feeling when I go to In-N-Out and I get a double-double with animal-style fries and a nice, tall, ice-cold Coke. Maybe that's what you think is joy. Or maybe it's that warm feeling when you take the hand of the one that you love. And you say, that's joy. Well, you know what? I would say those are feelings that are connected to joy. But when we read the Bible, when we dig into God's word, we find out that joy is a little more than just feelings. Let's take a look at this short video that helps to explain and express what the Bible talks about when the Bible mentions the word joy. Take a look. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads, happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. 
After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. Isn't that a good explanation? That's good. I love that. I appreciate that. Um, Joy is defined then. We can see that biblical joy is, is more than just the feeling. Though those feelings are tied to it, like a good bottle of wine brings joy. I heard a few of you go, yeah, that's right, oh yeah. <laughs> or perfume, you know, you smell something and you're, you're suddenly taken back to a place or a memory or an experience. Uh, when I first started dating my wife, Leah, uh, she was 16 years old, I was 17, and her perfume that she wore was called White Linen. I don't know if anybody remembers that perfume, White Linen, but I, to this day, if I get a whiff of White Linen, I am back to those, those precious beginning times of when we were first falling in love and when she took and held my hand at the movie theater and it felt like electricity went throughout my entire body. So those are connected, those feelings are connected to joy, but you can have joy and we're gonna see that we can have joy even in the hardest of circumstances. Because it's more than just the feeling. It's a mindset. It's a choice as we're reading and as we're hearing. A trusting and believing. A deep sense of hope in spite of our circumstances. And because of Jesus Christ, we can have that hope. And we're going to dig into that. Matter of fact, when we go on a road trip, it's important, we talked about at the beginning, it's important to have a map when you go on your road trip, right? Or else you may end up where you don't want to go, right? So it's good to have a map. Now, however you use a map, maybe you use uh, uh, Waze, maybe you use Apple Maps, maybe you're like the old timers that you pull out a Thomas Guide. Anybody remember Thomas Guides? Okay. My dad was a salesman here in Southern California. I learned how to use a Thomas Guide. It's more difficult to read than the Bible. I'll tell you, those Thomas guys are tough. <laughs> but I want to give you a little map for this summer. And I'm so glad all of you are here and those of you who are joining us online. Take a look on the screen. This is our map for the summer. This is our guide for our road trip. Our road trip through Philippians is going to help you discover, first and foremost, how to have joy in difficult times. Boy, I could use that. That's important to know. Also, how joy sustains us when the path looks lonely and dry. Joy can sustain us when it's kind of dry out there, kind of like driving through Nevada or driving through Arizona. Joy, how joy gives us strength to overcome obstacles. The Bible says in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
We're going to dig into that. And then finally, how to share joy with those who are broken down on the side of the road. That's our map. That's our roadmap for this summer. So as we jump into this, let me give you some backstory to the book of Philippians. Everybody say Philippians. This is our book of joy, and we're going to break this down through the summer. Here's the backstory. Like all scripture, take a look at this. Like all scripture, the book of Philippians is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Written down by the Apostle Paul, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. So these are words of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all scripture is inspired and useful for teaching and edifying. Well, the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned, was the one who wrote this. And secondly, we see that this is a letter, as we break this down, this is a letter that he's written to the Christians in the city of Philippi. I say Philippi. Philippi. I'm going to talk about Philippi for in just a second. Let's take a look at Philippians at the very beginning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy. Timothy was uh, Paul's protege. And Paul was mentoring him. And so Timothy was allowed to be there at these times. And then Paul would send Timothy with these letters. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. So Paul is saying this letter is for everybody. All right. This is for everyone. Philippi, let me give you a little background on Philippi. Philippi is very similar to Orange County. It was a very prosperous uh, city. It was a very influential city there in Macedonia. It was the leading city in that whole region of Macedonia. Matter of fact, it was well known that people would come there. They would recreate there. They'd have recreation time there. Uh, they would, they would want to put up their second homes there in Philippi. It was a nice area. The Christians there were, were doing wonderfully, but the Christians at that time were starting to get persecuted. They were starting to be talked down upon and treated harshly. And so Paul sends this word of encouragement. Though you live in a nice place, you need joy. It was first established, Philippi was first established by King Philip II of Macedonia. King Philip II was actually the father of Alexander the Great. And he founded this, he, he conquered and established this land, and the reason it's called Philippi was he named it after himself. King Philip, that's why it's called Philippi. He was so proud of himself that he wanted to name his town after himself. It became more prominent under the Roman rule. See, it was established in 395, or 365, pardon me, 365 BC under King Philip. But it was a few hundred years later, in 42 BC, that the Romans then conquered this land. And Mark Antony loved this land, and he took it over, and he conquered it. And it became a Roman colony starting in 42 BC. Paul is writing this letter a hundred years later. So Philippi's been on the map for quite some time, and now Paul is writing his letter to this city. You see, Paul had been to uh, Philippi 10 years before, and there he established a church. It was a church plant that Paul established and, and said, okay, here, begin to function, and I'll keep in contact with you. And so he would send letters to them. So now 10 years later, Paul is writing this letter. It's the year is approximately 61 AD. 
61 AD is when Paul is writing this, and he's writing it from a Roman prison. Paul had been thrown into prison. And so now he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. Take a look at what it says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And it says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and they boldly speak God's message without fear. Boy, there's so much there that we can unpack. So much there to begin to understand. Here's Paul, one of the greatest apostles of all time, anointed by God to teach, to plant churches, to mentor, to convey the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that is there. He's in prison. He's suffering says that he's chained. Matter of fact, uh, we, we read that he was chained to a prison guard every single day. When he would wake up, he would get chained and hooked to an actual guard. And he would spend his day attached to a Roman guard. He was on what was called house arrest. So he wasn't in an inner cell, but he was, he was restricted to this house that he was in. He could have guests, such as Timothy, that would then deliver the letters that he would write. But Paul would spend two years in this particular prison. And during that time, while he was in prison, he would write letters to Philippi, which is the book of Philippians. He would write uh, the book to Colossae, which is the book of Colossians, to Ephesus, which is the book of Ephesians, and to Philemon. So four books of the Bible were written during his time in prison. The first thing that comes to my mind when I begin to think about this is, how could he do that? I mean, the guy's freedom had been taken. We read earlier on, Paul was, was well-known in the Jewish community, well-respected. Not only was he well-respected and, and well-regarded in the Jewish community, but he was also officially a Roman citizen. Much in the same way, you would have a Jew here in the United States who's an American citizen. Their culture, their heritage would be Jewish, but they're also an American citizen. That's who Paul was. Jewish by culture and by religious practice, but also a Roman citizen. So how could this highly esteemed person, when thrown into prison unjustly, mind you, how could he have joy? How could he speak these kinds of words? Most of us, if we were in a prison like this, most of us Americans, we'd be demanding our rights. Hey, I want my rights. Where's my flat panel TV for my prison cell here? I, I deserve that. We, de we were demanding our rights. But not Paul. Not Paul. Instead, he references joy 16 different times in this one letter that he writes. He says words like, I always pray with joy in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I rejoice in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, be glad and rejoice with me, he says in chapter 2, verse 18. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, rejoice in the Lord. The guy's freedom is gone. His reputation is in the toilet. How could he have joy? His future, uncertain. He had no idea if he was going to stay there in, in prison or if he was going to die or if he was going to be released. Every day was new. He had no idea. Yet he still had joy. How? How? 
Do you ever find yourself in a situation, a circumstance that seems unfair, unjust, uncomfortable? Find yourself there? Our typical response, mine and others that I've seen, is oh, we get discouraged, right? We get depressed. We get despairing. We're filled with anxiety and anxiousness and worrisome when we face these kinds of situations. Our future seems hopeless. We feel like we're running on empty. So how did Paul do it? How was he able to keep his joy tank full even when he was in prison? Because if we can discover that, if we can tap into that, maybe you can have joy in your situation. Right? Now, some people would say, well, you know, Pastor Kelly, you don't understand. I'm, I'm just an average guy, an average gal. Paul was like a super saint, right? Isn't he Saint Paul? Aren't there statues created of him? He is like a super saint. No, he wasn't a super saint. It was just like you and I. Actually, take a look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what Paul says about his life. Because some people would say, oh, man, Paul, you had it good. You're a super saint. So Paul had to clarify. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 27. He says, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. The reason they only gave him 39 lashes, because it was well known that 40 lashes led to death. So they would give him up to 40, and they'd stop. The guy had been beaten, lashed. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That has nothing to do with cannabis. <laughs> Maybe it did. I don't know. Once I was stoned. No, not the same kind of stoning that we, we experience today. <laughs> it was actually the throwing of rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. Basically saying, wherever I go, trouble seems to go too. I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers, but are not. Maybe you've had a bad experience at a church somewhere where somebody said that they were a believer and their integrity, their morality, their character didn't measure up. Paul can understand that. I have faced dangers from men who claim to be that. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. Oh, I've been there, Paul. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I think Paul gets it. He wasn't some sort of super saint, yet here is this guy in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, is able to say to the Philippians and to us, rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, and again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. How? How does he do it? In his letter to the Philippians, we're going to discover his ability to maintain a continual state of joy is accessible for us too. It is. 
And the ability for Paul to do this stems from one main fact. We're going to go all the way through Philippians. Here's the one main fact. Paul stayed connected to the source of joy. You hear what I said? Paul stayed connected to the source of joy. He didn't disconnect. He didn't allow situations and circumstances and pain and disappointment and discouragement to disconnect him from the source. He stayed connected. That way his joy tank stayed full. Three different times in the letter of Philippians, here's what Paul says. He says, he reveals that his joy was in the Lord. His joy was in the Lord. Not the difficulties, not the pain, not the changing circumstances. His joy was not dependent on the circumstances or the situation because it was in the Lord. He puts his hope and his confidence in God, the God of the universe, the God who created him, who formed him, who knit him together in his mother's womb. That's you too. God says this about you. And when we put our hope and trust in him, joy begins to fill us up. He put his hope and his confidence in God. And here's how this happens. And if you're a note taker, here's where you want to start taking notes if you haven't already. There's two ways that he was able to stay connected to the source. Number one is, take a look on the screen, he trusted. He trusted. He trusted God no matter what happened. Paul trusted God. It was unwavering. He knew God would never fall asleep at the wheel no matter how rough the road would be. No matter how bumpy this road trip was, he knew God had a hold of that wheel, and they would get through it together. I want to look back at verse 12. It's up there on the screen. A little harder to, to read, but let me read it to you. It says, and I want you to know, Paul says this, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. He's sitting in prison, chained to a Roman guard. <coughs> if he's got to use the bathroom, he says, hey, buddy, can you move over a little bit here, please? And he says, everything that has happened to me, everything that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. You notice he didn't say, uh, everything that has happened to me, God made happen. No, he didn't say that. He says, everything that happened to me has helped me spread the gospel. See, he's trusting God to work everything out, no matter what the situation or circumstance is. Paul's the same guy that wrote to the church in Rome and wrote these words that's up there on the screen. He says, and we know that God causes everything. Say everything. everything. Come on, y'all need to say that. Say everything. One, two, three. Everything. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. See, Paul understood, no matter what I face, God's going to work through this. Doesn't mean that God causes all these things. We live in this world. We're affected by the world. Much in the same way when you go to Starbucks and you walk out of Starbucks, suddenly you smell like a cup of coffee. Have you ever noticed that? You're two minutes in Starbucks. You come out and go, man, I smell like I work there. We live in this world. The world does affect us, but God can work through that. That's where Paul says, I trust and I stay connected to the source. Mm. 
So powerful, so important, so necessary for us. And the second thing is right up there on the screen, his perspective, it's tied to the first one. His perspective. Paul had joy because his hope was not based on this little amount of time right here on earth. It was heavenly minded. He knew where the journey ended. He knew where the road trip was leading. He knew his destination. And so because of that, no matter what bumps he faced, it's okay. I know where I'm going. And God's got the wheel. And we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Paul's hope was in God's promise of salvation and eternal life. When he considered eternity and heaven, he looked at the things here on earth and went, man, these are small potatoes compared to that. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. It's right there on the screen. He says, for our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Do you guys need to hear that? You need to hear that. That's a word for some of you right now. Somebody here needs to hear that word. Paul said, these present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Why are they small? You might be going, no, they're, they're big, Pastor Kelly. You don't understand the situation I'm in. They're big. No, Paul did. He'd been beaten, almost killed, shipwrecked, thrown into prison. And he says, these troubles are small. They are. They won't last very long. You need to hear that. You need to hear God saying, guess what? Your troubles, they won't last very long. You're going to get through this. Keep me at the wheel and you'll get through it. it. says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Oh, thank you, God. These troubles are going to, they're going to produce in us some good stuff. And we're going to look and when we read into Philippians, we're going to see how it produces patience and endurance so we can be joyful. Trust and perspective. I was in the hospital. Many of you have heard me tell this story. I'm not going to get into the details again. But for those of you who are guests with us for the first time, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was in the hospital and they said that I was going to die a couple of times. My wife needed to make arrangements. Prior to being put on a ventilator because of COVID, I had to face the reality that I might not be here on earth for much longer. Matter of fact, when they came to me, they talked to me about the risks and the consequences. And I remember them saying, I have two choices. I can either keep trying to fight COVID the way they were doing it, and I probably wouldn't live because I couldn't keep my oxygen level up. It kept falling below 80 and around 70, if you understand blood oxygen levels. They said, or we can get you on a ventilator and we can direct air into your lungs, but there's risks and possible death. <laughs> Great choices, death or death, not fun. But there was a peace in my heart. There was a peace in my heart. There was joy. Not joy because of the situation that I was going to face. Not joy because of the circumstances that I was in. But there was still joy in there. You know why? Because I knew if I did die, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. 
And God, you've taken care of me all these 50 years of my life. When I was just a baby, you knit me together in my mother's womb. When I was a teenager and I was despaired and I was feeling hopeless and suicidal, you reached down and you saved my life. And so God, you're at the wheel. And I can remember laying in that hospital bed going, God, I'm good. I'm good. You and I are good. And you take better care of my family than I will. Because you're God. And so, Lord, have your way in my life. Your will be done. Oh, but God, I sure would like to see my daughters walk down the aisle. Do you know it's okay to let God know your heart's desire? It's okay to be sad. I'm not saying don't be sad. But put God in the driver's seat. And share with him your heart's desire. Share with him your disappointments and your sorrows. And trust that he'll work in that. Well, I'm here today. Thank God. God raised me up, healed my body. And last summer, many of you know, I got to walk my first daughter down the aisle. My youngest daughter, but the first one I got to walk down the aisle. And I look forward to the second one eventually. After that, okay, Lord, I'll come home with you. I mean, that's uh, whatever. Whatever. Our joy tank starts to fill up when we trust and adjust our perspective with an eternal perspective. Short period of time here on earth when you consider eternity. Some of you have heard me express how I view eternity. And I'll share it one more time with you. If you can imagine a, a large rope here, and we took this rope and we blasted a hole through that wall, and the rope went out that way beyond the where you could see. It's just going on forever. And we blast a hole on that side of the wall, and we put the other end of the rope. So you got a rope coming right through the building here. And it goes as far that way. You can't even see it. It goes as far that way as you can't see it. And I'm going to borrow one of your hairs here, Elizabeth. Thank you very much. That's my niece. I know that. You got strong hair, girl. <laughs> if we were to take this hair and lay it across the rope, just lay it right there on the rope, our life here on earth is about the width of that hair in comparison to eternity. The 80, 90, maybe 100 years that you live here on earth is about the width of that hair in comparison to eternity. Do you see? But we worry and we fret about the hair. We build our house on the hair. Hair is way overrated, I, trust me. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth, I'll use that for later. <laughs> we worry and we fret about the hair. And Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul is saying, look up, consider eternity. Don't worry about this. Don't fret. Be filled with joy because I love you. Trust me, adjust your perspective, and your tank will be filled with joy. Amen. Band, come on up here, would you join me up here? Yeah, you can applaud if you, if you agree with that. That's okay, go ahead. Don't hold back. How's your trust? How's your joy? How's your perspective? Lift up our heads. Lift up our heads. And consider God's promises. Consider his faith and trust and hope in you. He is faithful and he loves you.
When you choose to trust God despite the circumstances, joy fills your tank. It does. When you remind yourself that this is not the end, this is not the end. There's so much more. The destination is incredible. It fills your tank. When you're starting to lose perspective, let me encourage you. Go to the New Testament book of Revelation and read Revelation chapter 21. Anytime you start to lose perspective, read Revelation 21. Because what it is, it's the destination. It talks about joy. The supper that we will celebrate together with all the saints and all the believers and all of God. And it's one that is just so beautifully written. I'm so glad that God revealed that to John, the apostle, to write those words down in Revelation 21. This is not the end. As a matter of fact, this is just the beginning for you. We're in the preschool of eternity. And God is saying, I want you to have joy. I want you to have joy. So as we sing this song, I'm going to pray over you. And I want you to ask God to fill your joy tank. And it starts with you trusting him. Maybe today, maybe today's the first time that you've ever said, God, I trust you. Jesus, I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. I want to give you my heart. Let it begin today. Maybe you said yes to Jesus months, years ago. Your joy tank's a little empty. It's okay. Let's come to God. Say, God, today I'm going to trust you with and fill in the blank. I'm going to trust you with my family. I'm going to trust you with my finances. Give me wisdom on decisions, how to, what to make. Cryptocurrency is bottoming out. I need help, God. Trust him. Trust him right now. Pray with me, would you, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, with nobody looking around with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, whether you're online, outdoors, or inside. For some of you here today, today's your first day of saying, God, I trust you, and I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. Simply pray a prayer and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. Jesus, I make you my Lord and my Savior today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. If that's your prayer here today, you are saved. The Bible says if you'll confess Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Saved for eternity. Your perspective can now change because it's more than just what is right here. Maybe today you need to say, God, I'm going to trust you again. I'm going to reaffirm my relationship with you, Jesus Christ. I want to reestablish that trust relationship. Let that be your prayer right now. You just spend some time with Jesus. As we sing this song, spend some time with Jesus and declare these words in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you are blessed by today's message. For more great content and information about Refinery Church, find us at wearerefinery.com. 
and our socials, We Are Refinery. If you would like to help support and give to the ministry, visit our website at wearerefinery.com forward slash give. See you on our next episode at the Refinery Church Podcast.